What God can do is amazing. I'm so glad I know Mark. He's part of our church. Just to see what the Lord has done and continues to do in his life is just a treat for any of us. And I encourage you to get to know him so that you can get to know God's story even more. I hope you have your Bibles with you. If, uh, if you do, can you open them up to John chapter 20? If you did not bring your Bible, go ahead and grab one in the back of the seat in front of you. Good luck on that one. Just because I don't think you're going to find one in the seat in front of you, I put all of the scripture up on the screen that we're going to be looking at, but I want you to, uh, to be in your own Bible if you haven't. I want you to see what the living and active, powerful Word of God is saying to us. I want to introduce to you a man who lived almost 200 years ago. He lived in Chicago. He was a prominent lawyer. He was a real estate investor. He had several properties all along the Lake Michigan shoreline worth a lot of money. And in the year 1871, when he was 50 years old, he was married to a wonderful woman, and together they had five children, four beautiful girls and one handsome son. His was the perfect life. But at the height of that career, at the height of his money and his success, that idyllic life began to change. The downturn came suddenly, came with tragedy. His son died to pneumonia. And later that same year, if you can remember hearing about this in our history classes, the Chicago fire broke out. It destroyed nearly every real estate investment he owned. It was a devastating time for both he and his wife. How would they endure? What would anchor them through such fierce storms in life? And we can find that answer in John chapter 20 where we see the disciples of Jesus. They are huddling behind locked doors. They are afraid for their lives. It is Sunday evening, the evening when Jesus rose bodily from the grave. And you get to John chapter 20 and look at verse 19. And I really want you to listen to the word of God as we go through it. It says, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Now, friends, you've got to do something that I've had to do all week. It is so easy to just listen to a sermon and be unfazed by it, imagine it to be happening to a group of men and and probably women there 2,000 years ago. Can I ask that you do something? We do this all the time. Every one of us has an imagination. Every one of us can try to get into the shoes of other people. Can I ask that you would do that? Have a holy imagination for a moment. I want you to imagine you are a disciple of Jesus. You are in Jerusalem the week that he is crucified, and Rome had just put him to death. And you're wondering if you're in this group, you're terrified. Are you going to be next? Are they going to find you, and are they going to put you on a cross? I think any of us, like the disciples, would have been terrified that we would be the next one crucified. I mean, after all, listen, Rome had a particularly vicious 
attitude towards those who were accused of conspiracy. Did you know that when Jesus was a very young child, right after King Herod died, there were a group of Jews up in the Galilee region where all of these disciples are from, and they rose up against Rome in a seditious rebellion. Rome squashed the rebellion, crucifying 2,000 men along the main roads going in and out of Galilee. You would have been acquainted with that. You would have remembered that. It just happened three decades before this night. So Rome had a particularly vicious attitude towards anybody that's going to lead a rebellion threatening the Roman peace. And just a week earlier, you remember this, right? You're imagining you were there when Jesus came into Jerusalem and thousands of people were laying down their cloaks. They were waving palm fronds. They were quoting Psalm 118. They're singing. They're recognizing Jesus. And just a few short days later, those same people are shouting to crucify him. So you remember this, and you imagine, if you're in that room, the tension and the fear that you would have had, this, these fickle people. They are, you're popular one day, and you're ready to be crucified another. When suddenly, John says, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. And you're there, and you're thinking, is this a ghost? The doors are locked. How did he get in here? Is this a spirit? How else could he get into a locked room? Knowing their thoughts, Jesus, verse 20, showed them his hands that were pierced and his side that was pierced. For he had overcome death. He had conquered it. He had broken its power forever. And he found his disciples and he spoke the words that every soul needs to hear. I am convinced that every one of us, at the very deepest levels of who we are, crave to hear this word. Peace. He says, peace be with you. Friends, did you check your news this morning? Did the alerts come through your, your phone to hear what happened to Sri, Sri Lanka, to Christians that were worshiping God? We yearn to hear how we can have peace. And three days before he speaks these words, he had said to them, John 14, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So 200 years ago, we've got a Chicago lawyer. He loses his son in unimaginable grief, and then all of his investments go up in a, in a fire. What does he need? What do you need when your life is falling apart? You need peace, and the answer is from Jesus. Peace be with you. You know, I grew up in a church. My father literally built the church. He was a carpenter, but he also started the church that I grew up in. And we used to sing this song. We had a very modern worship band with instruments, and I loved it. I loved to go and sing. There was a song that we sang that went like this. It was called Because He Lives. I'm sure some of you know it. 
Here's how it goes, a chorus. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, every fear is gone. I know he holds my life, my future in his hands. Even as a little boy, there was just something deep, something emotional in me when we would sing that song. In fact, when I was writing this message this last week and going over those lyrics and remembering how we used to sing that, I could feel the emotions coming right back in like they did when I was a boy. Some of us used to build bionicles, I think, with our children. Maybe you still do. I did it with all four of my kids. When they were young... And all it took was one fall from those bionicles off of the dinner table, and they just fell to pieces. Well, it's similar when you wake up one day, and everything seems fine, you feel well, and by evening, you're in a hospital. How did that happen? You go to work feeling secure in your job, only to come home that evening having been let go. You get one terrible phone call, one split-second decision by a driver, and your life can change forever. Do you have peace? Even in life's unexpected difficulties, the peace that Jesus offers is an anchor. I like Adrian Rogers. He once said that Bible peace is not the subtraction of problems from life. It's the addition of power to meet those problems. You don't keep this kind of peace. This peace keeps you. It's a peace that passes understanding, and you get it from God. Friend, I'm going to ask you several times, do you have this kind of peace that is soul deep? And ironically, the peace of the resurrected Jesus actually begins with his death. Among the final words, he's on the cross. He speaks these three words. It is finished. Well, what was finished? What was finished was that everything necessary for God to forgive all of us of our sins so that we could have a relationship of friendship with God, it was done. Jesus did it all. You can have a friendship with God through Jesus. Therefore, Romans says, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We've been declared innocent. That's what it means to be justified. How? By our faith, by our trust, by our believing. And what does it bring you? You get peace with the Father. How? Through Jesus Christ. I love this word. I honestly think that I could preach one of my 35-week sermons just literally on this word every week and find new things over and over and over. It's a beautiful word. Just the mention of it. Listen, friends, doesn't it just stir your soul, that word peace? Is there really anything negative about the word peace? We yearn for it. We live in an increasingly fractured, divisive world, incredibly painful And to know the peace that Jesus offers, it means to be joined with God in a relationship and to know that he will hold you together despite any circumstance that you will ever find yourself in. This peace is the deep belief that God cares for you 
and that his power brings all things into accordance with his will, that nothing, friend, I hope you're listening, nothing will ever come into your life that doesn't pass through the hands of God. That's what it means to be a child of God. He watches over us. He, he holds everything that's going to come into your life. If he allows it into your life, he deems it necessary and good, even if it hurts. You see, peace with God gives a person the peace of God. But you know what? There was somebody in that room where the disciples were locked away. One of the disciples that was not there that night. His name was Thomas. And he heard what happened. All the disciples told him what happened, but he wouldn't believe it. He said, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Now, I would imagine there's some people here right now listening to this sermon that while you might use different words, that's the same thing you're saying. Thomas, can you imagine this? He had followed Jesus for three years. He had seen him feed 5,000 men plus women and children, probably 20,000 people with a few fish and a couple loaves. He saw him do it again with 3,000 men plus women and children. He saw him bring Lazarus from the dead four days after he had died. He saw him walk on the water. He saw him speak to a storm on the Sea of Galilee, commanding it to be still. He saw him bring a leper into new life with new skin. He saw miracle after miracle after miracle, yet he said, I do not believe unless I see him. He can only believe what his eyes could see. Friends, that kind of belief will not endure you through the harsh difficulties of life. So what is Jesus going to do for Thomas? Well, eight days later, John says, Jesus came into that locked room again. They still have it locked. The danger is not past. He greets them. And he says the same four words in the beginning, peace to you. And then he immediately turns to Thomas. Can you imagine that you're Thomas? Your entire history with Jesus as his disciple has been filled with holes of doubt. You can watch it through the, through the Gospels. And he turns to you and he says to you, put your finger here, Thomas, and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered, that was enough. Thomas answered, my Lord and my God. You see, this is faith. Believing and trusting yourself to Jesus as your Savior and your King, your God, your Messiah, and your Lord. Now, friends, I'm going to ask you a question. Listen, I cannot answer it for anybody in here but me. You have to answer it for yourself. Have you ever placed your faith in the resurrected Jesus who overcame death. Now, don't be too quick to answer that, if you would, please. Just slow down for a moment. Has he entered that locked room of your life? Because perhaps you shut him out for years and years. If so, he is offering you peace 
by forgiving your sins. That's the only way you can have peace with God. And you get a friendship with God through Jesus. But listen, you have to believe in him. Romans says this, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. How? In believing. You have to have faith. Jesus said to Thomas, have you believed because you have seen me with your eyes? Now he's speaking to all of us. Blessed are those who have not seen, did not put their finger in the hole in my side, did not see the holes in my wrist. You've not seen them with your physical eyes, but blessed are you if you've not seen that and yet you believe. Well, I don't know what the Lord is going to do today through this message and through this worship service, but perhaps like Mark Jefferson... He's going to open your eyes today and you're going to see and you're going to believe that Jesus died in your place to forgive you your sins, that he was resurrected for your peace. And maybe today you will put your trust in him. So I want to show you what it looks like when the peace of Christ comes into your life. And to see it, we're going to return 200 years ago, now 150 years ago, back to that Chicago lawyer. After the downturn in his life, he decided to take a very needed vacation to Europe with his family. A last-minute business problem came up. He couldn't go. He had to delay his departure. But he says to his wife, he says, you go ahead, take our four girls. I will meet you in Europe. You see, he was going to go, and they were going to begin with D.L. Moody, the Chicago evangelist. They were going to travel with Iris Sankey, uh, or at least meet him over in England. And then they were going to travel to Europe. But he couldn't go. He sends his wife and his daughters ahead with a promise that he'll join them. His wife and daughters board the SS Villa du Havre, November 21st, 1873, four days into the voyage, the Scottish ship in the Atlantic Ocean, the Loch Urn, collided with their ship. Anna, his wife, hurriedly brought her daughters to the deck, all four of them, and he knelt with them in prayer. He asked God to spare them if that is his will or to make them willing to endure whatever awaited them. The ship sank in 12 minutes and it took 226 passengers with it, including their four daughters. Anna was in the Atlantic clinging to a piece of wreckage when she was rescued and taken to Wales. A fellow survivor who was a pastor recalled her saying, quote, God gave me four daughters. Now they have been taken away from me. Someday, someday, I will understand why. She sent a telegram to her husband. Immediately he departed by ship and he's on the voyage and he's near the spot where the Ship went down and his daughters went with it. He wrote a letter to his sister. He wrote these words. On Thursday last, we passed over the spot where she went down in mid-ocean. The water's three miles deep. But I do not think of our dear ones there. They are safe, folded like dear lambs. It was near that spot in that cold, merciless ocean 
that he wrote what has become one of the most famous songs in Christian history. The words that Horatio Spafford penned, they went like this. When peace, like a river, attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot that has, that, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. That is peace. We're about to sing this song in just a few minutes. But I'm going to ask you to do something first. Can I ask everybody to do this? This is so important. Would you do what Paul instructs all of us? Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Would you look deeply within? And let me help you with that because it's more than just believing that there was a historical figure by the name Jesus. Biblical faith is more than just having prayed a prayer and then you live your life totally unchanged. There is no evidence of faith in that. Biblical faith is more than just believing that Jesus died on the cross, was raised to life, but yet you need to add into it some of your good works to just get over the top to be saved. That's not biblical faith. Can you look inward for just a moment? Just arrest your soul. Make it stay still for a moment. And ruthlessly look and say, have I abandoned all hope in my own goodness? Have I given up all confidence in my own righteousness? Do I now believe that God's just going to give me a pass or I no longer believe that God's just going to give me a pass when I stand before him? That something has to happen for me to be saved. And that something is the death of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Yet he could not stay in the tomb. The Bible says if he did, all of our faith would be futile. We would still be in our sins. There is something about the resurrection of Jesus that puts this stamp that it is finished. You could be saved through Jesus alone. Have you said that to God? Have you cried out to him in whatever words you want to cry out and said, God, I'm a sinner. I've defied you. I've committed cosmic rebellion against my creator. And I do not deserve salvation. But I believe you love me. And I believe you made a way through Jesus. And I'm asking you to forgive me and to give me peace. Have you ever done that? If you want to have peace with God that will give you peace in life, no matter what the storms you might be in, then you must say to Jesus, who overcame death and lives today, my Lord and my God, my King and my Savior. As we're about to sing that song that Horatio Spafford penned, I would ask that you would be incredibly courageous. For some of you, this may be very nearly one of the hardest things you might ever have done in your life. I'm going to ask that you would get out of your seat while we sing. 
and that you would go up the aisles to the lobby because there's some of our elders that are going to be there and some of the women that are going to be there. And if you want somebody to pray with, they're going to pray with you. They cannot wait. And maybe what you want to ask is for salvation. And they want to pray with you for that. Maybe you're in a storm of life and you don't know how you're going to get to the shore. But they're going to pray for you that God will endure you and give you peace. Don't let anything stop you from the greatest decision that you will ever make in your life. Peace be with you. Amen. Father, as we pray and close this portion of our worship service, Lord, I would ask that you would be with every single person, no matter their age. They might be in their 80s. They might be six. And anywhere in between. But Lord, let them search their heart and be sure. Don't let anybody leave this theater whether they are working for State Theater or whether they came to be part of this worship service for the first time or for 30 years in this church. Don't let anyone leave without knowing where they stand with you. Do they have a relationship with you through Jesus Christ? Father, would you help them and examine themselves? Would you speak so clearly? And I know from experience, you will not be speaking angrily. You will be speaking into their heart words of love and invitation. They're being invited to have a friendship with you through your son so that they can live in peace the rest of their lives. Father, would you be merciful to us? Would you be good to us? And speak the words, peace be with you. In Jesus' name, amen.